What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I am here today at Techonomy Half Moon Bay 2018 with Rowan Chapman, who is a PhD and the head of J&J's Innovation California. Welcome, Rowan. Thank you. Now, you have a uh, what I would argue is a perfect background for um, what you do, and we'll talk more about what you do in just a second. But uh, you spent a lot of your experience in uh, growth state startups and then venture before going to, I'm going to make sure I get this right, to uh, lead the uh, be the head of healthcare investing at GE Ventures, and now you're at uh, Johnson & Johnson. Talk a little bit about how that experience has helped you in your day-to-day perspective, and we'll dive deeper into that and, and why that's important for what you do today in just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So I often feel that when you're sitting around a table making a decision, having a diverse set of viewpoints around the table is really important. And diversity is often about the place somebody has been and what they've experienced versus what they've read about in a book. So my background being both a lab scientist and a postdoc writing papers, doing the, the work that you know, scientists all around the world do, to going into startup and doing business development and marketing and hiring and growing and doing an IPO and being acquired, to investing in people that were going through the same thing, to then going and working for some of the largest companies in the globe who are often the acquirers and the partners, just gives you a different perspective And often when I'm partnering with people or working with people, I like to understand where it is they're coming from and what's their day-to-day reality. Because it's hard to imagine somebody's reality unless you've kind of sat in those, sat in that, um, in those shoes. I like the way you put it. And I think it's, you know, it is that equivalent of coming from school where you're book smart and going out into the world and living it, right? Because it, it takes it from the head to the heart. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this because uh, your job is really to build and manage a portfolio of co-investments spanning all three sectors of J&J, which maybe talk a little bit about that because I'm, I'm guessing some people don't know really how broad a company J&J is. They may know you from you know the Band-Aids and things like that, but don't understand the full spectrum of what you all do. Yeah, absolutely. Johnson & Johnson is really a, the largest healthcare company in the world. And we have three main sectors uh, on our business unit side. So one of them is Johnson & Johnson consumer sector, which is the Band-Aids, the Listerine, the, the baby products, um, Aveeno, Neutrogena. So start thinking about skin care. Then we have the medical device sector. So think about Depucynthes, for example. Um, We have orthopedics, so hips, knees, and joints. We have stitches. We have a lot of the um, equipment that's used in the the surgical wards. So people often asleep, they don't see the the J&J branding. And um, we also have Janssen Pharmaceuticals, which is the pharmaceutical side of J&J, where we're really hitting um, amazing and developing amazing new medications for um, oncology that's cancer, to immunology, infectious disease and vaccines, neurosciences, um, cardiovascular, pulmonary arterial tension. So the broad spectrum of very, very um, important and impactful medications for diseases. 
We also have at the J&J level some cross-sector initiatives. I'm going to talk about three of them. The first is our lung cancer initiative where we're looking at solutions to predict, preempt and um, really cure lung cancer before it gets too advanced in a patient. It's going to be increasingly important across the world and I know that China is a place where we're heavily focused because a lot of people are getting lung cancer regardless of whether they smoke due to pollution. The second cross-sector initiative is a world without disease. This is taking a look at um, all of the major diseases and saying can we get people before we have disease? Wouldn't that be disruptive? Can we make sure we identify them? Can we even prevent those diseases happening whether it be in diabetes or name a whole set of other diseases? So our third initiative is really in global public health, where we want to make sure that the right medications or preventative care like vaccines gets to the right people at the right time, regardless of where in the world they live. Perfect. So we are at a conference right now that is very much about innovation. And I think you and I both listened to John Chambers, the former CEO of Cisco, who's quite an amazing man. And if you haven't ever listened to him, he's got a new book out. Um, fingers crossed we're going to be doing a podcast with him sometime in the next uh, couple of months. Uh, one of the things he talked about was he's investing in 16 different startups right now. So he's stepped down from being the CEO of Cisco. And one of the things he hit really hard on was the CEOs that he interviews to decide whether he works with them or not must be fully invested in culture. And so let's talk a little bit about that. And then I do want to start to talk maybe about your partnering model, because I think you look at some of the same things as a company and in your day-to-day role that John would look at and in, in deciding on whether this is a place that you want to invest or not and whether you can help them or not and whether it's going to be part of the ecosystem. Yes, thank you. I listened to John with great interest. I thought that he gave a, a fascinating and enthusiastic plug for culture in startups but also large companies. I've personally become very interested in culture over the last few years as I watch companies that do the right thing and companies that fail. And he's right, it's down to the leadership in that company. Part of the fascination for me about J&J before I joined J&J was about culture. So one of the things I really want to mention is about the Johnson Johnson credo. It's on the wall of every office as you walk in. And it's something which is really a cultural guideline for J&J employees. I find it fascinating because it's 75 years old, old and it's stuck. So let's just talk through the paragraphs. There's four of them. The first paragraph is to say, do the right thing for the end user of our products. And that end user can be a patient, it can be a caregiver, such as a mother and father, it can be a doctor, a nurse, you name it. It's just do the right thing. And that's all about make sure our products have impact and meaningful impact. The sep- second paragraph is about our employees, which I think is, was incredibly forward-looking for 75 years ago. And this is make sure that the employees are treated fairly, have a safe work environment, are listened to. Their diversity of perspective and opinion is listened to. I think that is a really, really good statement for being the CEO of a startup or be the CEO of of any kind of organization. The third paragraph is also pretty forward-looking, which is do the right thing for your suppliers, your partners, your communities. Make sure that you're a fair citizen. And I think the person that wrote this was really kind of realizing that it takes partnerships. Nobody can do it all. So it takes different people's perspectives in your community. And guess what? If you don't treat people right, the 
they won't treat you right. And then the last paragraph, it basically says, if you do one, two, and three, you should make a return from your shareholders. And that is something that J&J obviously has done very well over a large number of years. And that's interesting because I think a lot of Fortune 500 companies really start with the fourth one first. Part of it is they're legally obliged to, but I am a big believer and I've seen, having worked at Fidelity, a couple of startups and agency, that if you do start with your employees first, your clients first, your stakeholders, then the outcomes do come along and you guys certainly are living proof of that. What we were talking as we were doing a little bit of prep for this about some of the other sessions that were interesting, and I know data was one of those, right? And sort of we'll get into also um, the different components that go into helping create this ecosystem, big companies, small companies. But let's go back to a couple of the sessions that I know that you had flagged that you, you felt like were interesting. I'd love to get your quick take on um, what was interesting about them to you. Yes, I personally found Open Data for a Better Customer Experience a fascinating session where we heard from leaders from SAP and Adobe and really talked about how some of the large tech companies are partnering with each other, not necessarily to make an integrated solution, but to make sure it's easier for their partners to be able to connect those pieces together because they realize that the partners are acquiring Adobe, are acquiring SAP, are acquiring Microsoft, and everybody's kind of repeating the same thing by trying to hook the, the different technology pieces together. So I thought that was really interesting. It's something that I think a lot about from the healthcare side, because we have people delivering healthcare products like, let's say, pharmaceuticals. And then you have digital providers creating digital compliance tools or um, digital ways to enable the supply chain. And I think it's really interesting to think about how the different healthcare, parts of the healthcare, the pharmaceutical companies with the providers, with the payers, with the patients, make sure that you've got an efficiency that can then enable the right patient to get the right drug. And I think that honestly, some of the efficiency that can be increased using the IT tools will actually improve healthcare for all of us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it, it was um, impressive, a little surprising. And I also joked a little bit about the fact that maybe our current political situation could take a page out of this book where, you know, we're having a struggle uh, talking to one another. Um, speaking of one of the other areas we talked about that I think was fascinating, and you really lit up about this, I get passionate about it as well is this idea of innovation and marrying big companies and small companies together. And a lot of times there's a miss, right? And there actually there are a few different reasons why companies miss. Uh, I think the smaller companies have a harder time understanding the landscape. Some of the bigger companies sometimes get away from, you know, what is innovation? You, you are in this unique role of helping to matchmake, right? And your background does this. But let's talk about the language uh, in particular that you mentioned that really can sometimes be a barrier to companies working well together. Yes, I think this goes beyond big companies to small companies. I think it's also small company to small company from different sectors. So fundamentally, innovation happens at the intersection where different people have different ideas, access to different intellectual properties, scientific innovation, but also access to markets and regulators and governments. And there's nobody can do it all. So you might have a small company that has amazing technology, 
Let's say it's an amazing new molecular biology technique for gene editing. Or on the tech side, it could be an amazing new sensor technology for um, un for being able to see light emitted from a nanoparticle. Or on the software side, it could be the next generation of some kind of algorithm. We've heard a lot about machine learning, artificial intelligence. That's what that is. Those are all amazing technological innovations. However, you have to be able to get those to a patient and getting those to a patient requires some really not very high tech things around delivery via a doctor or a nurse. Also requires approval via a government and those different governments around the world and guess what, they all have different rules that are not completely obvious to a startup coming into, into trying to deliver that um, innovation to the end user. So what you have to do is be able to have the people that can talk regulation, the people that can talk supply chain, with the people who can talk science and the people that can talk consumer engagement. So on the partnering side, what companies, large companies like J&J &J can do is bring a lot about supply chain, about talking to the regulators, about understanding clinical trial, about understanding pricing. What the startups can do is bring the cutting edge innovation to a J&J. &J. And what we all have to do is sit around the table and be willing to say, I don't understand exactly what you're talking about. Can you explain that in a language that I understand? And this is particularly important when you have people from the IT side talking to people from the healthcare side, because until recently, people weren't often cross-trained and three-letter acronyms uh, abound that nobody understands. Yeah, that humility, I think, is an important piece in the ability to learn. I remember early days uh, when I was at Fidelity Investments, I understood digital and marketing and knew enough about technology to be dangerous. And I ended up sitting in between our e-business group and our marketing team. And I was one of those few people that could kind of speak both languages. And it's amazing how important that is. And the best leaders are the ones that come and say, look, I, I don't know what you're saying. And I don't know what that acronym means. So um, I like that thinking. Before we move on to some of the more personal stuff about you, you did mention wanting to talk more about your partnering model. And so I'd love to give you the opportunity to talk about that because I'm guessing there's some folks who are listening in that could benefit from some of the uh, experience and the smarts that you all bring to the table in that regard. Absolutely. So J&J &J Innovation is a global team that is part of Johnson Johnson's global external innovation team. We're divided into four geographies. So one little known fact is California right now stretches from Mississippi down to Australia and New Zealand is the geography which I cover. And we cover it on behalf of all of our sectors and the cross-sector initiatives. What this means is that we try and understand the future as it relates from the outside, but also from the inside. So we understand the strategies of the sectors and understand if we see a piece of innovation, how it fits into their sector strategies. But we also, if we see innovation on the outside, how it could enable the strategies for the future. So what does that mean practically? What that means practically is we have these cross-functional matrix teams with hardcore scientists, business development transactions people, venture capital transactions people, incubators. And when we meet a third-party startup or innovator, that can be an innovator from a university, from a startup, from a, even a later stage company, we try and understand what it is they want from J&J, &J, where they want to fit. Do they want to partner? Are they looking to be acquired? Do they want investment? And then what are the 
what are the next milestones that relate to their success and how can we help them? And then once we've got through really what the reason to partner is, what's the right tool for partnering? The right tool may be an equity investment from our JDDC group, or it might be an incubator um, lab space from our JLabs group, or it might be a business development transaction M&A from our business development teams, or it might be a partnering to enable that company to sit on the outside of J&J, but leverage J&J expertise and leverage their expertise to take whatever the innovation is to the next um, success milestone. Well, it's so smart, and I love being able to provide those different ways to partner together because really, while they're all sort of in the same ecosystem, they're very different and require different expertise, and sometimes being as explicit as what do you need or what do you think you need, and I'm sure you come in and probably nudge people left or right sometimes because people may not always know exactly what they want, especially in the startup world. Well, actually, I find the best conversations are where our scientists get with the scientists from the external team, and together they come up with some thing that neither of them had gone in thinking that they were going to come up with. Yeah, sometimes letting the experts talk to each other, lo and behold, is uh, not a bad way to proceed. Um, so this is the place where I want to transition a little bit into finding out more about you and, and you know, um, we talk about our guests more personally. I love, as a person that's involved in innovation, I changed my question a little bit from what, what's something people don't know about you to, are there any moments in your life that made you really... Um, sort of who you are as a person and you had a particular moment that you said people may not know and so I'm interested to hear the answer to this one. So I'll, I'll share this story and it's when I was a, it was the year before I went to college. So it's a long, long, long time ago, but often these moments in life have great impact on you through life. So imagine this, I'm at 82 degrees north, I'm hiking across a glacier and I'm tied by a rope to two people either side of me on this glacier. I'm a late teenager, and you think that you're invincible. Walking across the glacier, suddenly the snow gives way beneath me, and I am hanging 10 feet down a crevasse that I cannot see the bottom of, and I can't touch the walls of, and I can't see the ends of. So just imagine you're in this cold, blue, creaking place, and the only light is coming from the hole that I made in the snow above me. But I was tied by ropes to my colleagues. And to me, this made big impact on me because it made me realize my own mortality, but it also made me realize how important those colleagues are that you're tied to with a rope. You're never an individual. You're always tied to people. Well, that is one of the cooler stories anyone's ever told. And that is the exemplification of partnership collaboration, because without them, you're right, you may have been at the bottom of a uh, deep crevasse. I would be dead. So sobering thought, but we'll transition that into the next one, which is um, about books and podcasts, right? So hopefully a little more playful, but maybe equally meaningful. Uh, I like to ask guests, you know, if there's anything they've read or a podcast they listen to that has really been impactful on them that they would like to share with our guests. So I've read a ton of different books. Some of my favorite reading material right now are actually my teenagers' essays, my teenagers' school essays, because I learn so much about, um, about culture and, play and things I never learned about. This is a bit of a Desert Island Discs um, question of what would I like to read if I had all the time in the world? And for anybody who knows me, this is going to be a, re a real surprise. I would love to have the time to read the Bible, the Quran, and the Torah. 
all three of them, because I know they intersect with each other and I don't fully understand why. So that's an awesome answer. And again, one of the better ones I've ever got. And it's interesting, my daughter was asking me the other day about the Bible. So a little bit narrower slice of this and are all Bibles the same? And I was trying to explain to her that they mainly originated from, you know, the, the actual Bible that we know um, from the same uh, writings, but it got translated, you know, by a lot of different people into different languages. And so there were different interpretations. So that would be a fascinating exercise. Well, though, to, to read me, this. it's just the, the intersection between the three because they all have the same roots. And I'm not somebody who identifies as a religious person, but I would love to read all three of those texts because they impact so many people in our world. Yeah, I would, I would argue the Old Testament, or what we consider for the King James Bible anyway, the Old Testament is really that sort of essence of those other uh, religions. And, you know, they they predated in some ways, or at least um, have more of a mass appeal than, you know, even Christianity does, which I think sometimes we get a little U.S.-centric over here. Uh, but you, you tipped uh, the hand to the last question, which I love to ask, and that is that deserted island disc question. Um, you know, let's imagine you're on a deserted island. You have one album that you can take with you. Which album would that be and why? It's actually a salsa dancing music album um, by a band called Africando. And why? Because it's really fun and it makes me laugh. And it reminds me of when I came to the U.S. as a penniless student and I learned how to do salsa dancing. And it's also the, the music that I had playing in the hospital when I had my first child because I chose it because it's just super fun and all, always makes me smile. Well, I have to say that's a great way to end. Um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast. We're here at Techconomy at Half Moon Bay 2018, and I just spent the last uh, 20, 30 minutes with Rowan Chapman, PhD, and the head of Johnson & Johnson Innovation California. This interview is as fun, if not more so, than I expected, so thank you for sharing that, Rowan. Thank you, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.